Hey, How to Buy a Homies, I know a lot of you listeners like to binge this podcast while you travel for the winter holidays, gearing up for the new year, and that is rad. Well, today, think about this episode as maybe a little bit of holiday dessert, some pumpkin pie, some fancy Christmas cookie. It's going to be a cleansing of the palate for you. This is a really crazy and fun discussion with Gabby Dunn. If you don't know Gabby, Gabby's from the super awesome podcast, Bad With Money. Check it out. All right, everybody, buckle up. Today is going to be just a little bit off topic as Gabby and I chop it up. We talk about how confounding the mortgage qualification system is for non-W-2 employees. We discuss the pros and cons of buying versus renting, especially when you live in a non-traditional, non-settled-down lifestyle. And of course, we're also going to dive real deep into the love-hate relationship that Gabby has with Pinky the feral cat. Enjoy! All right, everybody, I already told you what a full-on rock star that Gabby Dunn is. They are a rags to stability story. <laughs> yeah, and truly. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's really uh, funny. Yeah. Gabby, I love the fact that instead of you going on social media to try to promote the rags to stability story and sell your workshop, that you just went to your core and mm-hmm. said... I want to help people. I mean, your freaking show is self-proclaimed bad with money. Mm-hmm. So tell mm-hmm. us about what the reason for you starting to that podcast. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a financial advisor. I never really wanted to be a person who had workshops or was selling anything like that. I work in television primarily. I'm just kind of like a regular writer. I sell TV shows. That's how I make my money. And then a little bit through the podcast. And so in 2016, I had done a lot of work in the like dating and LGBTQ space and Panoply, which used to be a podcast network from the Washington Post. They approached me just like knowing my work and they were like, hey, we want to do a podcast with you. What should it be about? And I had never in my life talked about money, not a once. It was not part of my brand, not a thing. And like, I could have very easily been like, I want to do a queer dating show, which is I think what they were expecting. And I was like, I want to do a show about money. And they were like, oh, 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 okay. Why? (laughs) What? And I was like, well, I had just written this article called Get Rich or Die Vlogging, which I had started doing a lot of stuff on YouTube. And so I wrote this article for Fusion that had gone viral and was like named one of the best like long form writing of that year, which was really amazing. And it was about people who are very popular on the internet, but have no money and they're freelancers and they work day jobs and they don't know what to do with their money. And largely they were in their 20s. And so I was like, I want to expand on that. And I'm bad with money. Like I had a platform. I had all these people who were like, if I would do a brand deal on YouTube, they'd be like, you're rich. But then in reality, I would feel very resentful because I was like looking for quarters in my car to have enough money to do my laundry. So I started feeling like people don't know the truth about what people in entertainment make and stuff like that. And then slowly, as I started asking more questions for myself, I called into my bank. I called into my student loans. I would do this stuff on air that was like kind of embarrassing, although I guess I like lack the part of the brain that allows you to feel shame. And so I like did all of that. And then as I started doing more and more, I was like, wait a minute, this is all screwed up. Like this is like really unfair. And there's a lot of pitfalls and traps. And this is like not built for anyone to like come out of their situation. And everything about what I was learning. So like, I always say like the first season, I'm like, oh, like what is a credit card? And then by like the end of season two, I'm like, I think we have to burn down the banks. Like I like just become slowly (laughs) radicalized if you want to start and just watch how I slowly become radicalized over the course of two seasons because it just started getting so political and, and I couldn't help that it was getting political. And then I realized that like, name bad with money draws people in because they think of themselves as bad with money. But ultimately, you can be very rich and be bad with money. You can be very poor and be good with money. And it just kind of luck of the draw. Yeah, it's something that's very interesting. I interviewed these great financial advisors from Brooklyn 
who help marginalized people that are having difficulty with the process. And they talk so much about mindset. So Mm -hmm. what I love about what you do is you bring the real story of the mindset. You learned it on the streets. So, okay, understanding the politics of us and assuming that everybody who's listening has just accepted that we're in the system, we're going to try to beat the system as best we can. Mm -hmm. What would be your best tips for folks who are freaking out because you talk about Gen Zs and millennials feeling helpless Mm -hmm. trying to save? If, for instance, they're thinking about trying to save for a down payment. You know what's interesting? And of course, this is the How to Buy a Home podcast. And my partner and I bought a cabin a year and a half ago, a very small cabin. It was like $190,000. It's in a rural area of New Jersey, I'll say. And so we bought it. And I had the mistaken idea that I had the money for the down payment. And I was like, okay, I have the money for the down payment. I go to the bank. I'm like, here's a down payment. They were like, okay, well, we need to see your P&L. And I was like, okay. So, but because of that, because it was like 2020 or 2021, my P&L looked like And so I was like, okay, well, here's the P&L, but just a heads up, it's like not as good as it usually would be, but here's $40,000. Like I have that for you because I got paid for a script. If you sell a show, they pay you a lot of money to do all this work on a show that then they won't put on the air. It's truly wild. So I work really hard for things that don't go on the air. You mean like an option buy? Oh, no, like paying me to write scripts that will ultimately go nowhere. But I have like essentially a nine to five situation where I am working on these scripts and I'm writing multiple things and I write things for free all the time. But so I had saved the money and I was like, okay, squirreled away my little money. And then the bank was like, no. (laughs) And I was like, but I have, but I have it. And they were like, yeah, but your P&L shows you don't make enough money. And I was like, okay, but I know this might seem obvious to your listeners, but the money is here. And they were like, no, we don't believe you'll ever have that again. So, and then because I'm so warped, I was like, maybe I won't ever have it again. And I'm just a lying loser piece of And so I was just surprised. I thought you gave the down payment and they said, great. That was not the case. So saving for a down payment is like part of it, but it's also like extremely hard. You have to like keep track of what you're making so that your P&L like in its profits and loss, that it looks good and makes sense because mine ended up shaking out to being like, well, this year you only made $16,000. And I was like, no, I know, but I have a lot saved. And they were like, we simply don't care about that. (laughs) And so I was shocked. I don't mean to say don't save for a down payment, but that was like really shocking to me. Basically, I truly lucked out by just getting a couple chunks of money at once. And I think like sometimes, you know, like I hear a lot of people say like a distant relative died and they got $10,000 and they put that to a down payment or one of my friends like was poisoned accidentally by a CVS and sued and got some money. Like it sucks. It's like so, it's like so up, but I really don't know. I had tried saving a few times. One time I had like $8,000 and I was like, I'm on my way. And then my car broke and I needed a new car. And then I was back at zero. And so (laughs) it's really hard. My friend Amy put it like, she was like, life keeps coming and it don't stop coming in the sense that like, at a play on the Smash Mouth lyric in the sense that you're like, okay, I'm saving, I'm saving, I'm saving. And then the universe is like, now you broke your leg. Now what? So it's like hard. I don't really know. It was like extremely difficult. And then just when I was feeling good about myself, the bank was like, no, actually, you are garbage. I know they didn't say that, but it like felt like they said that. I got to tell you, I'm a listener. I've listened Mm to a ton of your podcasts and I scrolled from the very beginning, like I recommend all my listeners do go to right now, Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. And I put it in my notes before we talked today because that episode was August 4th, 2021. And oh, yeah, with me talking about the PL. First of all, I always talk about how dope Nerd Wallet is on my podcast. Mm-hmm. And you had someone from Nerd Wallet whose like last name was like Renter or Renter, something like Elizabeth that. Elizabeth Renter. Isn't that funny? Yeah, she yeah. covers housing. Yeah, it was classic. So you guys talked about savings equals squat. Income is everything. Unreal. The reality of that is what I'm trying to help. The people who listen to this podcast, a lot of them come in and it's like, 
Some of them are like, oh God, I want to do this. The system's rigged. How do I do it right? And some of them go, dude, I don't even know how to do this. Yeah. And that story was so huge. I mean, like you said, funny. It's really funny, everybody. Go listen. Or August 4th. Mm-hmm. August 4th, 2021, you said that you didn't realize that the talking to a mortgage guy was going to be such a trigger about all your insecurity. <laughs> he was just like, okay, so lay out everything you've ever done. And I was like, it's not good. And I have a lot yeah. of privilege. I'm a white person. I'm like purchasing with my partner who's also a white person. Like, I mean, we're both artists. So already the bank was like, no. Like, we're both like, they're a musician. I'm a writer. Our income is not steady. And then the mortgage guy was like pulling teeth, like being like, okay, do you have anything else to prove that you make money? Do you have anything else? And I was like, sir, I'm out. I don't know how else (laughs) to show them that I make money. And I, this is coming from someone who, when I first moved to New York, if I needed $50, I would like scrounge and get $50. But like my bank account would only have maybe $500 at a time. Like I remember moving in Boston in 2008, looking for an apartment. And I was like, I cannot pay more than $400. I cannot. And then when I came to New York, I was like, so 2010, 2011, I was like, I can only live somewhere for $700. And even that I was like 700, like that's insane, but I'm going to push it, you know? And like that would clean out my bank account every month, my rent. And then now this man is like $40,000 isn't enough. And my small little brain, I understand that 15 years seems long or 12 years seems long, but it's really not that long for your brain to make the jump from $700 is too much money to pay to live somewhere with two roommates to all of a sudden you're like so proud of yourself. And then a mortgage guy is like 40K is nothing. And then you're like, I don't understand reality. (laughs) It's so true. I talk to my listeners all the time about understanding that it's a monthly number. When you're going to buy a television or a cell phone, you're thinking about the individual cost, and that's what you've done your whole life. Right. A lot of times I talk to people about there's a first and last to it, but the difference is it's a first and last and a security deposit. That's your down payment, your closing costs. The difference is you can't make just enough like you did right. to pay your rent. That needs to be 30 or 40% of all the money you bring in every month. Every month. Every month. And my mortgage for the cabin is like $500. Like it's not expensive. So I felt like crap because I was like, they think that I can't pay $500 a month. They really think that? After everything I've worked for, that's what it was. That's what it triggered. Because I was like, I've done 10 years of work on myself. I work so hard. I like literally made money my job and I'm still not that great at it. And things come up and I up all the time. And like, I have to gain perspective on like how amazing it is that I even have a retirement and how amazing it is that I even am able to be in the stock market, even though I stare at it and get upset every day. I was like giving myself these big wins. And then the guy was like, No. (laughs) And I was like, you don't understand. Like I can pay $500 a month. I swear. And they were like, well, the bank doesn't believe you. And I was like, I'm, I feel like I'm going nuts. Well, the second half of that episode, you talked to your friend, Alexis Gizal. Mm -hmm. And she talked about the importance of a team. The reason I started my podcast was because I've been doing this since 2006. I'm by Disneyland. I help all the people at Disneyland. So a lot of artists- yeah. So guess what? I learned very quickly back in the, the aughts in 2006, 7, 8, 9, when the market was crashing, I learned how to help them look right on paper. As the online lenders and mortgage brokers and all that got bigger and frankly more corrupt and greedy and crazy, mm-hmm. I learned that when you call somebody, if you call the wrong person, it's basically their order takers. They punch your numbers in. Nope, you can't do it. Yeah. So for me, that was what Alexis was talking with you about, about finding the right team. I believe she said, like, it's hard, but it's doable. Yeah. I do this all the time with people. We're like, okay, are you a W-2, W-4 employee? And when they say no, then it's like, okay, roll up the sleeves. And then me and the lender go, all right, give me everything. Yeah. And then you give us everything. And then we don't make you feel worthless when you show it to us. We go, here's how we got to structure this to show the bank. 
Sometimes people have to go back and redo their taxes from last year because I got a lot of performer friends who like write off every pair of shoes they buy because (laughs) they might wear it to an audition. Right. And so they made a hundred grand last year, but they wrote off 60 grand. And I'm like, you showed the bank that you make $40,000 and more importantly, you showed the bank it costs you 60,000 to make 40,000. And it's so counterintuitive because everyone talks about, oh, write off as much as you can. Oh, write off as much as you can. That's because the plan isn't in place. And that's the gap I'm trying uh, to fill. Like, I should have named my show. Plan years ahead of time. Yeah. And the reason people don't, because the system is rigged, is you call a realtor or a lender and yeah. they're like, how close is this person? They're not a paycheck in 30 days. There's a saying in real estate. An A client is 30 days. A B client is 60 days. And a C client is 60 days or more. So see you later. <gasps> and then they don't talk to you. I might get paid like 100K once and then not get paid anything for like a year and a half. And they'll dump that in my account being like, thanks for the script or whatever. And then I have to make that last. So it's funny because people will be like, oh my God, you have $100,000. But I'm like, yeah, but that's the salary of, that's like a 50K salary <laughs> per year <laughs> if I don't supplement it in some way. Yeah, well, the way the bank is gonna look at it is the same way because if you have someone who's done this a lot, they're gonna go, okay, we're gonna do this like a teacher. Teacher works nine months. We take it and we take their entire salary. We divide it by 12. So for us, they're they're going to take your 100K. Yeah. So I'll have my corporation and then I pay myself out of my corporation to be like, see, I got a paycheck. But it's just me paying me. <laughs> yeah. Your 100K is whatever that is, eight grand a month, almost yeah. a little more than eight grand a month. That's the way you look at it. And at eight grand a month, you could afford technically almost a $4,000 monthly mortgage payment on a home, mm-hmm. but you'd have but to have zero debt. So, yeah. (laughs) Woo! Okay. So one of the other things you talked about was on your podcast, Zillow and the iBuyer stuff. Mm -hmm. So you were one of the first people that pointed out, this is bull and Mm -hmm. it's all going to crash. And it did. Mm -hmm. They lost $360 million. They laid off tons of employees. Yeah. Just this week, all the iBuyer programs... I've been reading my nerdy real estate news. Redfin closed theirs completely, laid off a bunch of people. Open Door is down and laid off a bunch of people. Everybody's trying to do this. I keep trying to tell people, iBuyers are a scam. Find real people. Find real people who care. Mm -hmm. And that's why your podcast was so interesting to me. So just for fun, now give us some of your overall thoughts on housing. Mm. and the struggle because you went through it and where your head is on that today and how you see it, because I would be curious just to hear where you're at. Yeah. I mean, so with iBuying, it was like essentially supposed to be like, you're just, these companies are buying the houses and they're buying out entire neighborhoods. And it's hard because after COVID, I bought a home in a rural area. And I feel like after COVID, a lot of people did that. Thus, I think pricing out people that were already in that area. And so I see that in my own, the town that we bought our cabin in, where there are people that there's a big divide between the people that have lived there forever and the people that have all moved in to the lakeside cabin areas who are all people who came from the city and bought these really nice homes or are building, knocked down in our building, like $2 million homes in the area. Like where we live, there's all this discourse about they're putting in a Starbucks. Like everything is changing. I feel like a bit of a, like a, oh, well, we like were the canaries in the coal mine there. Then it's like, well, I guess the housing prices for those people who've been there forever, I guess those houses go up in value if they ever want to sell. But yeah, with the iBuying stuff, I mean... It's hard. I just saw a post that was like an apartment building and then a bunch of different like locks, like lock boxes. And it was like, this is because like 39 out of 40 units here are Airbnbs. And I think that like, especially in LA, the unhoused crisis shot through the roof, pun intended, shot through the roof during COVID. And they haven't done anything to like clean that up. And I have this very strange 
thought process, like I remember I was dating this guy and his parents had a home in Aspen and we went to it and I was young and I was like, so who lives here the rest of the time? And he was like, oh, no one. And I was like, what do you mean? This is just an empty house? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, can I live here? And he was like, (laughs) no, it's like our winter home. And that was like when I sort of first, I know that sounds like, I guess I didn't know anyone with a second home when I was younger, but like that was in my early twenties. And I was like, wait, so there's just empty houses. And I know that sounds old to realize that, but I still like, I feel strange about the idea that there's just empty buildings and people who need homes. And maybe that's really simplistic and I'm not a politician, but I, it just seems so like bizarre to me that there's no way to sort of make that work. And I understand that there's a lot of stuff with regards to like, oh, you can't be here and be using drugs, which I think if you look into harm reduction, harm reduction does a lot of really good work there. And safe injection sites have been like a very interesting topic that has come up more and more. But the prerequisites or the rules placed on people that are getting into these sort of housing, finally getting into housing, are largely unrealistic. And people are also assholes. And they'll be like, well, I don't want that. I don't want these people moving into the empty apartment building next to me. I don't want that. And it's like, I don't know. There's just like some sort of lack of humanity. There's this article that I always go back to that was by this woman, Cleo Chang, called The Empathy Gap. And I think that I reference it all the time, but I think that, yeah, there's like this big sort of me, 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 what can I do American sort of way of thinking. And then you look at other countries who have done much better on housing and on helping people find housing. And then now the complaint is like, even for the middle class, there's no way to own a home. And if they do own a home, they Airbnb it. (laughs) Yeah. So much of what I try to share with my listeners is the history because- What you were talking about, your place and the town getting other people coming in, it's not gentrification, it's second home. But you know what's interesting? That happened the last run-up. Really? You think that's a post-COVID. In 2004, 5, 6, and 7, the hottest place to buy property was Bend, Oregon. Why? Because what happened in 1998, the market started to go back up, Mm -hmm. and then it should have come down in 2001. It didn't. They started giving loans to everybody, all the stuff that you see from the big short short. margin call. (laughs) Big short, I talk about it all the time. Margin Um, call is a great one too. Margin call is good. Margin call is a little heavier. I tell people get the big short first. Yeah. And then when you're feeling Jeopardy style, jump into margin call. Unfortunately, starring Kevin Spacey, but a very interesting film nonetheless. If you can just pirate it, it I don't really know. Probably doesn't make any money off of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was stressful. It's an incredibly stressful movie. Oh, my wife and I are like, oh, we liked House of Cards. Oh, well. (laughs) But yeah, that was uh, Jeremy Irons is great in that. And you get to see how the banks get bailed out and you get to see how the system is corrupt. And that's why. But when you understand everything, and that's why I try to share with everybody back then at the peak in 2005, 40% of the homes purchased in America. We went from like, we usually sold three, four a year, four million, three million. Okay. In 2005, it jumped to 7.1 million. And 40% of them were greedy people who thought that this was going to go on forever, whether they were intentionally greedy or just like, oh my God, I don't want to make, were second homes. Yeah. And Bend, Oregon was someplace. I mean, people were seriously flying, getting in a van And these investment people would take them out and they would buy property. They did it in, you know, Phoenix and Vegas and Florida. Florida. Yeah, big time. But now what's happening is I just saw a stat the other day. The average distance that people usually bought a home from where they lived, it was six miles. It just jumped up to like 45 miles because of post-COVID remote. So what that should be doing is making the urban areas less expensive because not everybody think. has to live there. Right. Yeah. Simple supply and demand. But what it's doing is kind of the weird stuff in the areas like you're talking about. Yeah. 
And I'm part of the, I mean, we own a cabin in New Jersey and then we also live in Los Angeles. We have a house in Los, we, we don't own this place in Los Angeles. I wish we owned this place, but it's funny because it's like, we bought a whole cabin with like an, a half acre or whatever of land in New Jersey for like 190K. And then this house that we live in, in Los Angeles, that's just like a little house with like no land. <laughs> we'd be like $2 million to live here. Yep. <laughs> so we obviously like the idea of like owning some place in LA would be, it seemed out of our reach, but we still, we spend like half, we spend the summers there and the rest of the time here in LA. And during COVID we had, even I like felt guilty, like during COVID, I had a friend of mine living for free in my apartment, my old apartment, because she didn't want to be near her roommates who weren't taking it seriously. So she lived in my apartment for free. Mm. We had another friend living here in one of the extra rooms, like during COVID. And so like, I still hold like the guilt of like, who lives here? <laughs> you know, like I still, <laughs> like someone needs to be in this building. Otherwise I don't yeah. know how to feel. <laughs> like if we go away for a while, I always am like, like a friend of mine broke up with her partner and was like needed a place for two months. And I was like, please live in my house. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel so bizarre if it's empty, which is just like guilt, I think. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why a lot of people, they don't think about buying a home themselves. Yeah. And what I try and do on my show is explain to people, if you find the right person who can plan with you to make you look good on paper to the banks mm -hmm. and you can replace your rent mm -hmm. with a mortgage, then one of the biggest fears I see is people freak out about, well, what if I get a job in New York? Cool. Like for me, I never bought in the nineties cause I lived in studio city. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, well, what if I get a job in New York? Oh, let me think who knows a dozen people that are always looking for a place to crash an right. actor from LA. Right. Yeah. Like LA, like if we rented out the cabin, if we were landlords, LOL, and we rented out the cabin, it would be like a beautiful, like it would be a lovely writer's retreat for someone. Like yeah. it would be really nice. And honestly, like if we just lived in the cabin and I didn't have the place, we didn't have this house in LA, like I would save so much money because the rent here and this house, and it's a big house, but the rent here is like $3,000, which is... Yep. lunacy. And then the mortgage, like I said, is like 500. <laughs> yep. So if I just like moved to New Jersey and didn't have this place and like threw out, I don't know, 90% of my clothes, I could really be <laughs> probably more financially savvy. Well, if you ever wanted to, I can set you up on a long-term plan so that you'd be buying something much smaller but $3,000 a month could probably get you a condo with the down payment. You could sublet it for eight months out of the year and live in New Jersey. And then when you're coming back, there are options. Yeah. Because I try to explain to my listeners that most people think, okay, unless you're doing the, I want the Norman Rockwell little house in the neighborhood that I just need Which to rent. Which we have this. in the cabin. Yeah. 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 But most people just think they need to rent until they get to a place where they want to settle down. And for me, it's about letting people know, hey, if you want to, you could take a little time and figure out, because I blew it. I rented, I spent $104,000 in rent in the 90s in mm. Studio City, in four different apartments. Mm. When I got into real estate at 35 years old, I realized that from 21 to 28, I could have made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And instead, when I moved out, I got a $1,500 security deposit back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm 34. I'm figuring it out. <laughs> yep. Rock on. Well, you bring such a wonderful mindset and attitude where there's empathy involved with everything mm -hmm. that you talk about. I don't get political on my show very much because people think that when you talk about finances, that you're going to be politically one way or the other. I know. But I love the fact that you tour Dave Ramsey's a new one on both sides <laughs> because I stayed away from the politics, but he cost everybody so much money by telling them they had to save 20% down and yeah, the market was flying. It's horrible advice. Yeah. Bad advice bookended by Jesus quotes, which is just yeah. beautiful. Yeah. 
The show is not for everyone. I think like I have definitely listeners who are like, or people who leave Apple reviews that are like, there's like advice, but then like sometimes there's just Gabby saying the politics, this is bad. And the only way that this is going to get better is through like governmental change and like huge change. And there's not really anything you can do personally or whatever. And they're like, I don't want like, I don't want to hear that. And I'm like, listen, man, yeah. like this is not the show. There's plenty of other shows that'll tell you what to do. Yep. <laughs> Some of our episodes are just like, it sucks out there. <laughs> yeah. And I have people that troll me and talk to me. And mm-hmm. then I have people come in thinking my show's a show for investors. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh-uh, here's the thing. I'm like, no, 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 no. Here's the thing. The system is rigged. Yeah. If you want to beat the system and yeah. replace your rent with, with a mortgage, mortgage payment, I'll walk you through it. Yeah. But don't think that I'm here trying to, if you're freaking out about it and you're pissed off about it, you have two choices. Yeah. Run for office. Yeah. Or find a way to work with what we've got yeah, but still or become like advocate. super politically engaged and like vote and do or just like become like a lot of my friends in the wake of COVID have become like big housing activists, which is amazing. I think it bore a lot of people who were like, wait a minute, we got to do something about this. Well, in L.A., there's there's so Huge. much going on in L.A. One of the things I keep seeing a lot of stuff talk about is just such a weird cycle, especially during COVID. Stranger Things got huge and the third season was in a mall. And now <laughs> they keep talking about why don't we turn empty malls into affordable housing? That's a huge topic that people are trying to work wow. with. and. It's a struggle in real estate because there's so much corruption in the way the builders do things. And builders don't want the land that could be so expensive and they could make so much money on. And it takes the politicians to come in and create a percentage of affordable housing. Right. And then I have some listeners who come in and say, that's awesome. And I want to advocate for that. But it's not affordable for me. What mm-hmm. do I do? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, all right, let's back up. And I tell people, if you do this and you become more financially stable, cool. Make sure you give back afterwards. You think I should buy a condo? I just want to go back to that. You should think I should take the, my PL still looks nuts. You think I should buy a condo? <laughs> You talked in the episode when you were buying this that you appreciated Mal's support. Yeah. Their partner is Mal. Yeah. And you got support from Mal and Mal's family, correct? If I remember the episode, somebody was helping you out. Yeah, Mal's dad put his name on stuff for, which he kind of didn't need to, but it just, everything was taking so long. And I was like, I don't know what else to do to prove to these people other than like showing up and just like throwing dollar bills at their faces. Like, I don't really know. So he just like put his name on it. And then eventually he like takes it off. But it was like he just put his name on it so it could go through, which was so annoying. So the interpretation or the definition for everyone out there is what they used was a cosigner. And Mm -hmm. then they eventually removed the cosigner from title. Yeah. That's something that you can do quite easily. Mm hmm. My parents couldn't have done that. Yep. Mal's parents okay, did it. Okay, so this will be a fun experiment then. Okay, so for your particular situation, how many months a year is the home that you're in vacant? How many months do you hang in Jersey? We're in Jersey probably like four months total of the year. Do you rent it out or do you give back and just let people stay in your LA place for free? We do not rent out the LA place. We tend to let people stay. Mostly because they're usually watching the pets, some of the pets. Okay. So you have a financially then $12,000 a year that you're paying out in the rent for Mm -hmm. that place for a dog sitter and for the luxury of being able to enjoy this other part of your life. I understand that it's not good. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm not saying I was. No, no, no. I was not judging. That's the one thing I don't do on my show because people will come in and say, people say, I want to buy a house like this. And I'm like, cool. Do you want to cut this? And they're like, no. I'm like, cool. Then we're not doing it. Yeah. It's like so many freaking realtors walk into a house. They look at the house and they go with their first time home buyer. Oh, you guys can't buy this place. Meanwhile, they're both lighting up and love it. And they're like, Mm -hmm. why not? You yeah. know, it's not your personal opinion. It's yeah. you do what you want to do. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I brought it up is what that yeah. tells me is you probably have more money that you could show the bank than you think. So if you are willing to sacrifice your bitch, and if it's a $2 million place, I'm assuming you've got some decent square footage. Probably isn't an older place that's like cool and quaint. 
cool architecture. Yeah, it's older. I have an office. Mal has a studio. There's yeah. a garage, second bedroom. Like it's got, it's a lot. So it, it would be the decision, you and Mal going, $36,000 a year goes into nothing. Yeah. And we never see that again. Now the market's shifting. Mm -hmm. Will you be thinking that in 23 or 24, mm -hmm. you guys decide that how about we put $36,000 a year into something that is going to grow into hundreds of thousands later on that we can access. Mm -hmm. And, but then we have to make a sacrifice. We're going to lose the garage, you yeah. know, potentially we're going to lose. You might be able to get a garage, but lose the yard. Yeah. We're going to have to drug this cat and take it with us. This cat lives yes. on our porch. This Cat <laughs> lives on our porch. And when he deigns to grace us with his presence, he enters the home. So I was like, if we move, we're going to have to drug this cat and then be like, <laughs> and then just completely change its entire <laughs> where it lives because there's no way it's going willingly. What happened to my porch? Why am I in this weird? Where the hell am I? <laughs> Why am I in a condo courtyard? What the hell happened? Basically. <laughs> Or just like try yeah. to make it an indoor cat, which is an uphill battle because that cat likes Mal and not me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand the cats liking one and not the other. Mal's out of town and Mal's like, have you seen Pinky? And I'm like, yeah, from a distance. And then I go, oh, baby, come here. And then the cat goes, you know, and goes away. <laughs> Looks at me, P.O.'d and goes, you're not Mal. So you're mm, not Mal. bye. And Mal was like, really, before I left, the cat was like coming in the house and stuff. And I was like, not for me. And Mal had like a camera out back and saw me coming outside with Pinky's food and was like, heard me because I like you're talking out loud and you don't realize. And like Mal said that I put the food down and I went, I come in peace. And then I just left. <laughs> I come in peace. Here's your dinner. OK, goodbye. So I don't know. Yeah, I know that probably this big. It's funny because I'm sure you encounter people where like there's definitely better financial decisions to be made, but they're like, mm, but what if I was comfortable? <laughs> yep. Happens all the time. But that's the big thing I talk to people about on my show. And the reason why I like your show so much for my listeners is open your brain, open your mind, mm -hmm. figure out if you went through this giant struggle and had to change your mindset to understand something, to get to a certain comfort level, yeah. live in that comfort level for a little bit. You know yeah. what I mean? Live there, enjoy it. When you're ready, the people at Disneyland that, I, that I've worked with, some of them were like 30 days. One dude I met, he was single in an apartment, first meeting. Mm -hmm. By the time we closed on his house, he'd got a girlfriend, then he got engaged, then they got married, and then they had a kid. It was like three and a half years later. Yeah. And the whole time. And then the season was right for him. And he mm -hmm. went, okay, now I have these extra things that I want to settle down for. And then when we talked about it, I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I would say for someone like you in your position, from a purely financial, not emotional, mm -hmm. first of all, I would never give you advice mm -hmm. until I talked to you for another 30 minutes about your life, your dreams, your goals, your wants, and your needs. Yeah. That's just me. No, yeah. But- Purely fiscally, where the market, because I heard you talk, you know, in your other episode about how crazy it was to buy at the time that you bought. And it's still going to be a great thing, but the buyers are going to get some more power over the next few years. Yeah. If you've been paying $3,000 a month for how many years have you been paying $3,000 a month? Two, three, four years? Since 2020, yeah. Since 2020. Okay. So yeah. if you've been paying that for three years, if you think that you're not going to get evicted, mm -hmm. if you think you're not going to miss a payment, Mm -hmm. For the next three years, mm -hmm. it's worth it to look on paper and see what would happen if you look to buy something, knowing that you're good paying $3,000 a month for the next three years. It yeah. might be the down payment closing costing too much. It might be the sacrifice to go from this bitching place. I don't know. Are you in hipster town? Are you in? No, like, we're you in North. You don't have no. to stay on air. We're in North Hollywood. I remember when I lived in Los Feliz and Echo Park when I was younger. Yeah, I was park. like living in North Hollywood. What are you dead? And like now yeah. I'm like, I would go so far oh. out to the valley. I don't even care. 
Oh, dude, I lived coming from Orange County. I moved up there and oh my God, we're becoming the Californians on SNL. I went to North Hollywood. You know, I was too far north in my first place. Someone threw a rock through my window because I was up by Oxnard. And I was like, oh, I need to get down. I'm 34. But I used to think if you moved to North (laughs) Hollywood, like you were retiring and you were basically dead and no one would be your friend. Like I was, (laughs) uh, I just had the wrong idea about almost everything. (laughs) I moved there because I thought it was the closest thing to the suburbia that I knew. It is. It's very suburban. My whole street is becoming condos though. Yeah. My whole street. Well, when I moved there, Echo Park, and there was no hip area because it was the 90s because I'm way older than you. Mm. So I moved to Studio City. This whole street is becoming condos. It's our house. And then there's a house next to ours. The woman was a very close friend of ours. She passed away. And so her oh. they sold her house to developers. And so now our house is like the last hanger on. And they had to sign another lease. But in our minds, we're like, how soon before they're like, mm, it's $2 million. Y'all be careful. I know. Y'all be careful. Those developers come in and make an offer they can't refuse and check your lease. They're really going to just check your lease. See if you've got 30 or 60 days. You could yeah. be calling me just out of necessity. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, because they're coming and they want to build condos. And I don't know how fast they're going to do it. But like the idea of them knocking down this house next to us, which, by the way, the woman who lived there, she bought it in 1973 for $20,000. Yep. And then she lived there till she passed away in May. So like wild. And then she's like a very eccentric woman and she left all her money to the ASPCA. (laughs) Nice. Well, the ASPCA needs to get in there and sell that thing on a probate or a trust sale pretty quick and get some money. It got sold to developers. And so, and there's condos right next door. So now like, it's like creeping up on us, all these condos. And it like used to be pretty quiet. Now it's just like you hear partying in the condos. I'm elderly is what's happened. But now you just hear (laughs) partying in the condos. And like, I was like, it's going to be a nightmare when they knock down the house and they put in the condos and they're going to be doing construction all the time. And I podcast from home and like, yeah, I'm so it might only have like another year here before we got a jet. Well, one of the things that I tell a lot of people right now is, first of all, if people come to my podcast, they've made some decisions. Mm-hmm. If you listen to a couple and you're like, this isn't for me, you're out. Right, so, right, right. Cool. But if they're listening, that's the thing I'm telling everybody right now is, God, because I put some of this stuff up on social media and I get so many people angry at me and I'm like, I'm just trying to warn you. If yeah. a recession, when the recession hits mm-hmm. for real next year, yeah, a lot of landlords are going to sell out from under from you because yeah. recessions hit landlords. Yeah. So, yeah, watch yourself. Maybe it's condo time. It sucks because I have so much stuff. <laughs> yeah. I just, like my partner is a hoarder. I'm a hoarder. Like it's just yep. I feel like I walk around and I'm like, what is all of this? So, and my partner's very into the yard and stuff, but you go through phases and like, I think you're right that owning stuff, it's so complicated because it's hard. I would never want to be a landlord who takes advantage of people, but then it's so, I don't know. It's so, it's such a hard thing because everyone always says, oh, well, real estate's how you have stability. And I'm like, I hate everything. Well, well, (laughs) what you can do is be a part of the change. And if you're gone for four months out of the year, if you're a part, when I talk to a lot of people on my show, I have to explain to them, look, if you buy this urban condo, because you're paying 3000, but you can pay 3000 and have this condo. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not a house. Mm -hmm. It's a condo. When you leave, you can rent it for 32 or 3,500 a month subleasing while you're gone, depending on some of the areas, because you know how rents are. LA rents are insane. Mm -hmm. But if you can afford the 3000 and you're going to Jersey and it's only 500 it's you've already been given it away you don't have to rent it at market value right you can rent it at gabby value gabby and mal value, value. I'd be so guilty. I'd be like, I don't know. Like, you could just give me a bag of potato chips or something. I'm sorry yeah. for all of this. This is why my mom was bad at being a lawyer, because if people couldn't pay her, she'd be like, I'll take a haircut. Like... This is like a terrible instinct of mine where I'm just like, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I feel bad. Do you want to just maybe like just Venmo me 50 bucks and we'll call it even? Like, like, a landlord or a good landlord. 
Well, look, we're on the same page. I'm a crappy real estate agent. I stopped to do a podcast. I was in my living room at three o'clock in the morning yelling about what's wrong with the horrible right. industry. And my wife comes downstairs and goes, do you make any money doing this? And I'm like, no, but I'm, I'm helping people. So yeah. <laughs> someday. I'm like, look, I'm not going to charge you rent, but you do need to film all my TikToks. <laughs> that film, edit, do my damn captions. <laughs> you know? Trust me on that. Yeah. And honestly, you. that's worth it. Thank you. And yeah. also, if you can 100%. brainstorm TikToks that I should do, yeah. I'll really be appreciative. Yeah. Get me the right content, the right hooks. Please, then. <laughs> please I'll lip sync the house down. I just need I just need you to come up with what I should be lip syncing because I'm 34 years old again. Dude, my TikTok, I'm giving real nuggets of wisdom. And people 20 hate views, it. 50 views. Yeah, people hate okay. it. And then Have I say, Have you tried dancing and then pointing to what you want to say? I actually did one where I made fun. I go, If your realtor does this, yeah. it's because they're brand new and they suck at their job. Oh, God. No, nobody. No nobody. one cares. But, they just like it. Yeah, the minute I said, Make sure you turn off your utilities two days before you move into the home that you bought, because if the seller doesn't, if they turn them off, you might have to pay a reconnection fee. Mm hmm. 20,000 views with right. everybody yelling at me. I'm not paying two days for that person. Screw that. I'm like, okay. So God bless TikTok. I would rather be the person that they have a lot of opinions about. People are like sharing it, being mad. And I'm like, all right, that's views for me. I don't really care. Yeah, I'm feeling you on that. And also you're like, I know I'm right. So yep. whatever. I love the people that come on and rag on me and go, look at you. You're such a corporate. You're just trying to get my workshop. And I'm like, go look at my feed. I post tips on how to buy a home three times a day. Yeah. For nothing. I make yeah. no money out of that. Yeah. So it's always going to be that way. And that's the fun thing. It's like. People have a lot of opinions about real estate. A lot. A lot. And that's why until I get Dave Ramsey's popularity, I just have to keep screaming into the wind and having fun conversations with people like you. I knew we were aligned on a lot of things. And it's interesting to be able to go, I tell people, really great to meet you. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't buy a house right now. You mm -hmm. know, and then if my broker's listening back at my old job before I quit to do the podcast, they would come in and yell at me. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I just can't work for the dollar. You have to work to try to help people better mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think in five years, if you're still renting for $3,000 a month, you I might look back probably. on this conversation and go, hmm, but it's going to take a really big game plan yeah. for you. I won't probably. To figure it out. I'm also yeah. like a person, I move all the time, which is also probably bad. But like in New York, I moved like six times. And then in LA, I've lived like multiple places. <laughs> I kind of impulsively yeah. move a lot. I'll like have a really big place for a while. And then I'll move into like a one bedroom and be like, this is fine. I tend to just jump around. So I don't know. Where the market's going, you've got advantages over the next three or four years. I hate to mimic the 1% who are screwing all of us, mm -hmm. but realize they all make their money in a recession in bad times. I know. So as the recession happens in 2023, look, I'm not saying I'm going to do what they do and screw other people over, but I'm hoarding cash now mm -hmm. and I'm looking to take advantage in 23 and 24. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling my listeners do the same thing. And if they mm -hmm. go on and be a jerk with it, that's on them, but mm -hmm. we do what we got to do. So yeah, Gabby, you rule. You absolutely <laughs> rule. Thank you for having me on. I hope this oh my God, was helpful it's so great. in any way. <laughs> Amazingly helpful and entertaining. And this is my version of a mailbag. Because <laughs> well, thank you. I talk to other people about just buying a house. You're like a bunch of random thoughts and ideas, which is like a mailbag. So it was perfect. Oh, well, so, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Which are some of my favorite episodes. I love your mailbag episodes. They are off the rails. They are really gone totally. off the rails. <laughs> Behind the scenes, maybe you'll tell me what the hell's going on with Mal these days. Because when he comes on, you're like, what is with your energy? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it fluctuates. It's like either yeah. really high energy or and they're like, and then thing or they're just like yeah. i don't know the world's useless <laughs> you know i really yep. enjoy the vibe that you bring <laughs> <laughs> when i heard your one this morning where someone was talking sent you like a really long email about the numbers for disability 
mm-hmm. and how that was upside down. Mm-hmm. And you were like giving such a wonderful response and understanding and sharing it with your audience. <laughs> and Mal was like, oh God, numbers. I have a headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a sort of a one-two punch where if it's something they're really fired up about, they're fired up. And so yeah. there's a few that are, and I do it just to mess with them. <laughs> Besides Bad With Money, where can people find you if they want lots of Gabby things? Yeah, Bad With Money podcast. We release on Wednesdays and Fridays. And then Just Between Us podcast is another show I do with my friend Allison Raskin. That is more of a variety show. And then I'm on TikTok at Dabby Gun. And I'm on Instagram at Gabby Road because branding, <laughs> who cares? Those are where you can find me. I left Twitter yeah. two years ago and I shall never return. So my Twitter is a dead feed. And especially now I don't touch it, but yeah, me too. Someone asked how to buy a home on Instagram and won't give it to me. And they haven't used it since 2018. So yeah, branding, what are you going to do? But if they type Gabby Dunn in any of those things, you'll pop up. Yeah. I pop up. Yeah. And Dabby Gunn just makes me laugh. Thank you. I was sitting there racking my brain like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I was just like, fine, because the Gabby Dunn, there's like four or five Gabby Dunn's and they're all beautiful women, just stunning. And so like they all have every variation of the name. So I'm like, you know what? Y'all keep it. (laughs) (laughs) I can't recommend it for my listeners who enjoy my occasional (laughs) semi-scripted out rant. Gabby is great off the cuff, but man, when they get to writing... There is such incredible, fun little nuggets to sit and listen to. Thank like, you. Uh, your whole thing on the mortgage one, when you talk about how the bankers made you feel and the trigger and the stress, it was just wordsmithing. Thank Amazing. You. I appreciate you taking the time. And oh, I'm very you. excited to introduce you to my listeners. And folks, remember, no matter where you are buying a home, you can always listen to multiple different opinions and make the choice that's right for you. Thank you, Gabby. Thank you. That was so much fun. And I hope that it helped to entertain you while you're enjoying your planes and trains and automobile or whatever transit you're doing right now, taking a small break from the intense home purchase, planning, studying that you're doing, listening to the rest of the podcast. And that was a good long one. So guess what, gang? Break is over. Back to work. First order of business, share and review the podcast right now. Don't tell me you're too busy. You've still got like, what, four, six hours left before you get home? Share it right now. And next, decide. Decide for yourself right now that when you get home, You're going to get serious about your planning for 2023. You're going to make a spreadsheet. You're going to buy a whiteboard, even make a vision board, whatever. And last piece, you can do this.